from the Gospel of Matthew, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Because this story started in the darkness long ago in a place far from here, because this celebration starts with a child born to be the Savior of the world, because this is a story that surrounds shepherds with a heavenly light in the stillness of night and leads the Magi and us on a journey by the light of a star, because this is a story for us on earth about things that are celestial. Because of all this, that gives me some latitude to begin by talking about Star Wars. Star Wars is many things. George Lucas, its creator, saw it as a Western adventure set in space. Scholars who study such things have found elements of Greek myth and other ancient legend in the movies. Star Wars is a story of good and evil, light and dark, trial and triumph. And like all good epics, which after nine movies I think it now qualifies as an epic, it tells a truth about humanity that transcends its genre. During the Christmas break, my wife and I went to see the newest Star Wars movie, Part 9. So in preparation, we spent an evening watching Parts 7 and 8, just to refresh our memories about recent events, because we're not rabid fans, just interested onlookers, so we didn't remember. It's hard to know uh, what qualifies as a spoiler these days, but I'm about to refer to something that happened in the eighth movie that came out two years ago. So can we agree, just for this moment in time, just in this time and space and place, that you've had two years to see it, so this is a spoiler-free zone? Excellent. In part eight, there's a scene in which Luke Skywalker, now living as an ascetic hermit on an unknown island, comes to believe that all the war and the violence and the pain and the suffering, everything that the universe is enduring, is because of that ancient spiritual belief that the fabric of life is held together by the balance between good and evil, the light side and the dark side. And that, the extension of that belief that all those forces can be controlled and honed and harnessed. So believing this, and that this is now the cause of everything that's going on, to put an end to all that violence, Luke grabs a torch, intending to set fire to the holy and sacred texts of the ancient Jedi tradition, a tradition of which he has been a master and a teacher for many years, a calling which he now feels unworthy of. But at the last minute, Yoda intervenes. And if you don't know who or what a Yoda is, I'm not going to get into it because I'm worried this sermon is already off the rails. He's just a very old and wise teacher. Anyway, after stopping Luke from setting fire to these ancient texts in, a, in, a, in, in just rashly and not with much forethought, Yoda stops him, calms him down, and then sets fire to the books himself. And he does it to prove a point, that the truth never existed just in those books but in him and in all people, 
And then Yoda leaves him, saying, Pass on what you have learned. Strength and mastery, yes, but weakness and folly and failure, yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher is failure. All right, so why all this talk about Star Wars? Because just as much as it's a space western, as much as it has elements of Greek myth and ancient legend, so too does it draw on elements of Christian tradition. And one of the most important aspects, one of the most important elements of our Christian faith is the idea, the struggle, of failure. Failure and questions of worthiness among the many things that are at the core of our tradition. We follow, after all, a Messiah who will die the death of a criminal and be considered at that time by many to have been a failure. And now we serve that Messiah out of the frailty and imperfection of our own flesh, the same flesh that that Messiah took on. And as Paul will later say to the Romans, we all fall short of the glory of God. Failure is at the heart of what we are. It's what God is counting on. But I'll get back to that. Today, we celebrate this Eucharist to mark the baptism of Jesus Christ, the account of which we heard from the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew records a detail. It's a story we know well, but Matthew records a detail that the other Gospel writers excluded. But in the story of John the Baptizer, it's actually a really significant detail, apropos of all this talk about failure. John baptizing the crowds gathering at the banks of the Jordan, preaching and prophesying the coming of the Savior, the one who will come to be the Savior of the world, when who should walk to the riverside but the Savior of the world, to be baptized by John. What can John do but throw his hands into the air and say to Jesus, Who am I to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. Now that John feels this way shouldn't surprise us. This is, after all, the same John who said that one is coming whose sandal he would not be worthy to untie. And now he is being asked to serve Jesus in this most holy act. And suddenly John joins that long line of reluctant and unworthy prophets. Moses with his stutter, begging and bargaining with God not to be the prophet. Jonah setting sail in the other direction from God's call. Jeremiah, who says to God, not me, I'm just a boy. And now we have John, the reluctant baptizer, the unworthy servant of Christ. Let's stop there for a second. Because I think that's something we can actually get. I think we can grasp and understand that idea of occasionally feeling unworthy. It's easy for us to feel unworthy when we're called upon to serve sometimes. It's easy for us to get frozen on the spot when asked. There are probably dozens of times in a week when we feel like we don't live up to the life that we have been called to as followers of Christ. There are distractions all over the place. The newest scandal that distracts us from real, actual problems. The latest gossipy news on social media that we surrender ourselves to. The people we pass by on the street feeling guilty as we do it the time, the money, and the energy we spend on ourselves at the expense of others. 
And as if those personal struggles weren't enough, there's the helplessness that really grabs hold of us in a genuinely distressing world. As fires burn up land in Australia, floods take over Angola, and earthquakes in Puerto Rico, while rockets fly through the air oceans away from us, during a climate crisis that threatens indiscriminately the uh, poor and the wealthy alike. In cultures and politics of racism and xenophobia that are both invisible yet ever-present, the insipid hatred of difference that seeks to destroy everything, I don't need to go on. There's always something to distract us. There's always a way to justify our choices and justify our decisions, or justify not acting. But it always ends up leaving us feeling a little empty, a little helpless, not worthy to serve. And so when we're called, instead of choosing to act, we choose not to act. And not just as individuals, but as people, as a whole people. So how do we break that cycle? How do we shake off that cycle of failing to act that grips us in this world, in this life? Well, hear what Jesus says to John. John called upon to baptize Jesus, the one who he had prophesied would come. Jesus says, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. No, John, let's do it this way. This is the right way for things to happen. And so John baptizes Jesus in the story we know well. And in that moment, two very particular things happen, other than the booming voice and the heavenly dove. Two things happen to help us break that cycle of unworthiness and failure in our lives. Of unworthiness, John reminds us that God will, Jesus reminds us that God will always call upon people of faith to participate in the fulfillment of God's work in the world. And when God calls us, when God calls us, the measure of faith, the measure of value, the measure of worthiness will not be our own measure, but God's measure. And of failure, Christ's baptism says that there is no such thing as failure in lived-out faith unless we abandon the promises that we made when we started out. And speaking of those promises, in the leaflet today, you'll find that buff paper colored, in the, that buff paper insert uh, that has those promises on it, the vows of our baptism. Take a look through them. In them, you'll see no words about us being perfect. You'll see no words about us being complete. No words about being worthy. Nothing about being done in this whole Christian thing. Instead, you'll see words about our role of perseverance in teaching and prayer, even when we find it difficult. You'll see words about working and striving for justice and peace, even in a troubled world when sometimes it seems hopeless. You'll find our calling to be living examples of Christ by word and deed, even to people who aren't necessarily in a place where they can receive us as that example. And most importantly, you'll see words about always trusting in God's love known in Christ, the forgiving love of God. Not if, but especially when we fail. I invite you to take that, that, uh, that insert home today 
pray over those promises, meditate over them, and find new life in your baptismal calling. Because today we celebrate this baptism of Christ into which we are also the baptized. We celebrate the commitment that we have made to be followers of Jesus Christ. A commitment to grow through failure. A commitment to love beyond hatred. A commitment to persist through trial and to learn through imperfection. What was it that Yoda said to Skywalker? Pass on what you have learned. Strength and mastery, yes, but weakness and folly and failure, yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher is failure. It's at the heart of what we do. It's what God is counting on. God who calls us, like he called John the baptizer, to serve even when he felt unworthy. God calls us to continue sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in the world and to be beacons of light to a world that seems far too dark. We are called to serve as we are, not as we think we should be. Well, I began with George Lucas, so I'll close with George Burns. In preparation for this sermon, I found myself thinking not only of Star Wars, but also the 1977 movie, Oh God, starring John Denver and George Burns. It tells the story of Jerry, a workaday grocery store clerk who is met by God one day, ably played by George Burns, who meets him in the produce aisle. And he calls Jerry to be his new messenger to a new generation. So reluctantly, unworthily, Jerry takes on God's mission, but he finds limited success in a 1977 modern-day audience. Amid his frustration, Jerry finally asks God, Why me, God? Why did you choose me? God says, Why not you? You mean there's no special reason why you chose me? And God says, you know, sometimes life is a shot in the dark, like the millionth customer across the toll bridge gets to shake hands with the governor. You thought I picked you because you're better than everyone? Jerry says, I'm not. God says, well, you're better than some, but not as good as others. But you cross the bridge at the right time. God calls faithful people and not perfect people to serve God in Christ. God may call reluctant people, but never unworthy people to fulfill God's righteousness in this place. God invites you and me to be part of that work, not because our plans won't fail, but because God's plan won't fail. And we are a part of that plan. So may we have the courage to embrace our faith and serve Christ boldly. And with God's grace, may we embrace the choice God has made in claiming us as his own in Jesus Christ, in baptism, in success and failure, in life and death. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.